Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get started here with the first of five hours that Danny and I will be talking to each other here. Good to see uh, all of your familiar faces in the room. I guess we should probably just quickly hit on the fact that Mike Conley is not going to play tonight. Yeah, disappointing not only because that makes the Jazz a significantly easier team to defend, but also because that does not bode well for his hamstring kind of moving forward. If he's not ready to play today, then that makes it less likely that he'll be ready to play in game two and so on and so forth. And I'm, I'm guessing we'll talk about the newly newly crowned MVP at some point in this too, but I think we'll do that on, I think we'll get, we'll get questions on that. And we can start with uh, Justin. Justin, you are on the air. Hey, sorry, I'm driving, but um, uh, what do you guys think? Well, assuming Mike Budenholzer uh, doesn't quite make it, um, what do you think is the best out there as far as his style of play, as far as him being a floor raiser and ultimately taking a mediocre team to 55-60 wins? Nate, do you have any, I, I, I'll, I'll think about it a little bit, do you have any Budenholzer destinations if it's not Milwaukee? Yeah, that's an interesting one, right? It, I mean, he does seem to be a guy who adds a lot to you other than, you know, he gets the team to the number one seed and then gets him to lose as the number one seed in the playoffs, it seems like. So, you know, I think Portland is one that maybe is, is kind of bandied about. You know, he's not, I don't know how he and Neil O'Shea together would work necessarily. Um, and what's another team that's really just like trying to take what if, Indiana? What, what about, about Indiana? What if Indiana? I was thinking about Washington because, yeah. you know, they, they can they can play a, a, a standstill five, including potentially a Lopez twin. Yeah. And um, and I think that that sort of consistency of scheme, I don't think it's going to make them like the number one seed or anything like that, but I think it could help. And it would be a signal to Bradley Beal that they're really serious about it. But would Budenholzer take it? What kind of contract would it be? Yeah. Now, now I do think it might be a little bit of a misnomer to say that Budenholzer is wedded to a drop back scheme because sure obviously that's not what they played in Atlanta they had some pretty good defenses in Atlanta too of course those defenses got shredded in the playoffs by the Cleveland Cavaliers because they didn't have the scheme versatility I think it's more really as he's tried to do more this year but like quite frankly it hasn't worked right I mean he he has not been able and maybe the players aren't able to or whatever it is to teach the ability to kind of do multiple things and part of his genius I think is that he comes up with a great system for the regular season but he I mean the switching like they haven't really done that very well I don't think they haven't really even fully tried it at all here in the playoffs either so you know I don't know that it's necessarily has to have a drop back but he has to it seems like have his system that he installs some training camp that everyone knows and we just execute that better than everyone else during the regular season but then we can't change up during the playoff Nate I have one for you okay what if he becomes the Popovich replacement at some point in San Antonio 
You know, it doesn't seem like, well, so so they're talking about Will Hardy as kind of the heir apparent there. My guess would also be that part of why he ended up leaving was that he just was not really deemed to be that guy. Now that was obviously eight years ago that he left, but still I, I get the feeling that he's kind of is not really in that San Antonio hive as much that there's, there is, again, I, I'm not basing this on anything other than just the fact that they kind of, you know, it, it seems like he's sort of gone away from that San Antonio route type of thing where he's not like the closest guy to pop where he would come back. I don't know. That's just a feeling I have. I'm not basing it on, on anything remotely concrete there. Well, Justin, uh, I'll, I'll encourage you to drive safely, but thank you for the great question. That was that, that, that was a fun discussion. Um, let, let's go to uh, Shah. You are on the air. Are you there? He just unmuted. I got can some you, hope. Can you hear me? Yes, yes sir. Uh, so um, I was um, reading some of the heliocentric stuff on Luca and this series. Uh, it reminded me of LeBron and how um, I, w- I was wondering, and I did some research, when LeBron uh, sat both with with Miami and with Cleveland, um, his offenses kind of fell off a cliff. And I know that, we- that Wade wasn't the same player, and I noticed that Kyrie and Love didn't really play much on bench units together, so that might be it. But the, ta- the talent wasn't really terrible without LeBron, I think. But the Lakers last year w- were kind of decent, I guess, without him in the playoffs, uh, thanks to Rondo and Davis shooting like he did. So I wonder if it's something that there's something to it, to like LeBron teams, his bench units doing poorly by design because of the way he plays, even though I don't think... He's too egocentric of a player compared to Luca or Harden, maybe, or it's just chance, or the players weren't really the the bench. The bench wasn't really ever that deep. So I wondered if it's like something that he takes off the table um, with his great offense when he's on the court, but maybe the players have don't have the same rhythm that they would have in another offense. Yeah, that's been a constant refrain you know going back to Miami as you said I'm sure LeBron's first Cleveland teams weren't any good with him on on the bench either but yes it does seem like there is a a feeling that because he is the system most of the time that you don't necessarily have anything you can fall back on when he is off the floor but Anthony Davis was probably the best guy other than maybe 2011 Dwayne Wade probably the best guy that he had played with last year and they were able to find some things as you mentioned with him off the floor at least during the playoffs during the regular season there has been that same kind of drop off uh, as well and I do think there's a limit to how far you can go with that kind of style. And LeBron is obviously the greatest player ever. And I've compared this Dallas team to 2018 Cleveland. Just one guy who does everything and then just a bunch of shooting around him. Like Kevin Love, Chris Porzingis are kind of similar players. And I do think there's only a a limit to how far you can go with that. LeBron playing at maybe the highest level he had played at in 2018 offensively. Still, you know, they they weren't really a championship quality team. Like they beat some bad teams in the East that were injured and then they had no chance against the Warriors, obviously. So I think, yeah, you don't necessarily want to build your team that way. If the Mavs are going to get there, to me at least, they got to find 
something else that can allow Luca to rest. And we've seen how much he drops off in the second half. For example, he's not the physical specimen that LeBron was, who, you know, might be the best conditioned athlete that we've ever seen. Uh, or if not best conditioned, just the overall most impressive athlete that we've ever seen in the NBA. So yeah, I, if if the question is, do they need to do something differently? Then uh, I, I agree with you that yes. But the good news is he's 22. In theory, they have some time to try to find uh, what's going to work. Yeah, and the, I don't have a ton to add. I think that's a very good point. But I also, one of the elements, and I think we saw some of this from Carlisle the last couple of years, is that my theory has long been that for players who are the system, you need to then have something totally different identity-wise, offensively, in the minutes that they're not on the floor. Like, this has been a criticism of mine of the Warriors when, you know, Stephen Curry has these crazy on-off offensive splits. And a lot of that is personnel. They basically never had a true point guard or at least a good one um, who could run an offense when Curry was out other than D'Angelo Russell year and then Curry didn't play. So I, I think that there are ways to do that. I mean, Carlisle's used the Energizer Bunny, which was smaller, smaller guards and all that type of stuff. But the idea that you have to do something totally different in those minutes. And it creates a problem, though, when that heliocentric star is either in foul trouble or is there. Like, if you're kind of doing an, like a, a one team and a second team, whether it's a bench mob theory or something else, like that, that can lead to problems when you have to mix it up. But these are talented enough players, ideally, to make it work. Well, and they've had success, actually, until this year. Their benches have always been really good, whether it was before Luca or not, because, they, like you mentioned, they found ways with the two-point guards to make it work. And then this year, they really struggled with Luca off the floor. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, they got to both personnel and scheme-wise, I think they need to find some other things. And they need to find some other things other than Luka Doncic starting the play by dribbling the ball every single time as well. Uh, thank you so much for the question. We will move on to Glenn. Glenn, you are on the air. Oh, hi. Um, this isn't Glenn Simonson. This is Neil O'Shea. Oh, boy. We're <laughs> going to get some quotes now, aren't we? Well, I'd like to address the rumor I heard a few minutes ago that I was going to consider hiring Mike Budenholzer. And if he flamed out with the Bucks, there's no way in the world I would hire Budenholzer. If I wanted a coach who was a good coach who would disappoint in the playoffs, I could have kept my former friend Terry Stotts. <laughs> um, but I will tell you who I am going to hire. Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, you know, I think I, I can't remember whether it was you or someone else who brought this up. I kinda I kinda like that a little bit. Um in, in particularly because D'Antoni, I don't think he really has many other options unless it's Indiana. He can maybe, you know, this is kind of the same thing as when D'Antoni was hired in 2016 in Houston, where you're just leaning into the offense a little bit more. And, you know, maybe they can find a way to be competent defensively, which, which D'Antoni teams would do on occasion. The Nets have been a pretty good example of that. Not that he's like the guy running their defense necessarily right now. So, and also... I think a lot of like prize young coaches, they might see the writing on the, the wall for Lillard as like, hey, I take this job and then Dame Lillard's going to be gone in like a year. Like that's not good. So D'Antoni though, his time horizon is kind of the same as the rest of the organization. So I, I, I like that. I would well, be very, he's also a Warren client. So there's that synergy as well. So yeah, I, I like that one. Well, Glenn. well the other move is uh, in addition to bring him D'Antoni, he could bring along Ime Udoka as an assistant coach. Then after a couple years of D'Antoni he's got to be in his mid-70s by then and Adoka would be a good uh good backup plan if and when that would occur yeah maybe any idea any idea if Ime is a Warren Klein too (laughs) uh I think he in fact actually I'm pretty sure that he is because he was that there we uh, go he was at Adidas Nations. I, I don't think Warren has like a public list of his clients. 
that's the way some agencies do but yeah he was coaching at adidas nations which was sort of like a war and run thing so yeah he might be at least he was as of a few years ago well you can thank me for breaking these scoops on your podcasts (laughs) (laughs) well we can definitely thank you for uh being such an awesome supporter of us glenn we we really uh, appreciate that um what well we have you here what did you think of neil o'shea's insistence that uh, the it, they didn't lose because of the roster. Well, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. Neil O'Shea has has a long record of being pretty arrogant. And uh, the thing about it is, a guy who high who gave Myers Leonard a four year, forty million dollar contract after watching him play for four years doesn't deserve to be that arrogant. Not even close. Well, like, yeah. I, 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 Tom, Tom Ziller got at this a little bit. I was going to, at some point, go on a dunked on tirade about it. But basically, I'm fine, you know, to an extent with people being self promoters or covering themselves and everything else like that. But if O'Shea truly believes that to be the case, that the, that this team, that this team has better talent, that they were let down by their coach, then you should fire him because he's wrong, because he is he is incorrect in his evaluation, and it is dangerous to let. Like, so for me, it is more concerning for the Blazers as a franchise to have a general manager who's delusional than one who's just, you know, saying the right things to try to protect themselves in public. And because this team well, isn't that good. Well, he may be delusional, but that press conference is what convinced me to, to think that Olshea is actually going to try to hire D'Antoni. Because if you are going to um, disrespect your former friend Terry Stotts, you better have something in your hip pocket as terms of getting a really good coach out there. And among the uh, people out there that that have been rumored D'Antoni is the one higher I think uh, would be very attractive for old shit. The, the other thing too is like, like they're not that far away from getting back to maybe being a home court advantage team again. They always have the, like the injury issues with Nurkic as well. If they just fix the bench defense, which shouldn't be too hard to do, although you know, they've tried and they, they haven't succeeded, but you know, just not having Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony as your backup front court and just having like some normal guys, I, I think that would actually like they could get back to maybe winning around again i mean it's just there's just no way they can get to being a championship contender i don't i just don't see what that is no matter who the coach is and no matter what moves they make from here on out so i that, that that's the, where it really the, falls apart for me the other thing about uh Olshay is that if you if you think that portland is a small market and you want to compare them to two other small markets in the west utah and denver utah's roster and denver's roster are superiors to portland at this point point. Yeah. and um and they're and they've been better run organizations coincidence or not over the last five years absolutely yeah absolutely. i still don't think that portland is like a badly run organization honestly like i, I think like Olshay, other than the summer of 2016 i think he's done a pretty darn good job he's definitely a little prickly like he's got the whole like pravda media thing going on where he's just constantly trying to control the message and i find those to know jobs like personally kind of annoying but i I think overall they've done a pretty decent job you know the the mellow thing they needed him last year but like bringing him back wasn't a great idea and but dame wanted him and so that they kind of got stuck into that uh but like the nurkic trade was great you know i think Trent for Powell, eh, you know, I don't know. I like Derek Jones Jr., but then they wouldn't play him. 
By the way, Glenn, you might have followed this close to me. Why did they just stop playing Derek Jones Jr. completely? Like, not even, like, bring him off the bench at times? Was that ever fully explained? I don't have any idea. I've never seen any explanation that made any sense at all to me, other than the fact that there was some um, some talk about how he wasn't a very good offensive player, and that's why he got benched. But you didn't hire Derek Jones Jr. to be an offensive player. You already had enough yeah. offense. You hired him to play defense, which they didn't do when they took him out and they replaced him with Rondé Hollis Jefferson. It's basically the same player, except not nearly as athletic. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was, it was hard to understand. Hard to understand. Yeah. I mean, he is a really terrible shooter. Like I thought he took some strides last year, but that wasn't, didn't really turn out to be the case. But yeah, I mean, I didn't really understand why he would play Ron. I mean, they must've just felt that he just like didn't execute the system well enough or something that he like, or just did something from a personal standpoint behind the scenes. It would seem like his, his player option decision will be an interesting one all right well that's uh awesome to hear from you as usual glenn let's get into the chat here with uh jillian and uh danny had a comment on the pod the other day that no player has ever given you more confidence in their playoff abilities after losing in back-to-back years than luca right now does that mean that luca enters your top five players any other major shifts in your rankings so far uh the suggestion is move kd up to tier one with Kawhi and lebron I already had KD tier one. I feel pretty good about that. You should. Um, I had him. I had him. I had him third. Uh, my my inclination right now is that I I don't like. So for me, the next tier, if we're kind of comparing apples to apples, the guy in the in my tier two that is the most comparable to Luca would be Stephen Curry, and I'm not quite there on Luca as a you know like as a overall performer as the 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 straw that stirs the drink but i mean maybe he should be maybe it's just me being a little bit cautious and there's a distinct chance that he will be by the time we record that podcast next year um but i do feel more confident now about luca like within that within that group i called it the one hurdle group where it was Embiid, luca Jokic, and lillard like i had Embiid higher and Embiid at his best you know maybe you i mean because the the value that he has defensively but the lack of defensive versatility and then health I mean, the, the Embiid, you, we talked about that idea of it's 50-50 that he's going to make it through playoffs. And so if the the concept that we use on those is you're starting a full season and a playoff run at that at that date, then the the, the likelihood that Luca is going to play, that the prob- I, I think it probably pushes him over him, but I'm not willing yet to put him into the same group as Steph. Well, I think the other thing is just that Kawhi, or I'm sorry, not Kawhi, LeBron and AD have probably got to get lowered a little bit, I think. Well, and for me, Giannis, like, I mean, that that's Oof. that's a conver- that's a reckoning that is going to be coming as well. So maybe yeah. it's going to be like, maybe there's going to be a stratification and Luka fits in with that. But I don't, fifth is probably the highest I would put him, but yeah, maybe he'll be fifth. Yeah, I mean, let, well, let's see what happens in this Brooklyn-Milwaukee series. Like, that series isn't over yet. Like, I really, I, oh, for sure. I think that Brooklyn is going to win it, obviously, but a lot, a lot could change there as well i would think and you know i think this phoenix series be very interesting for Jokic as well because he wasn't going up against a real defense in round one and now he is and obviously he doesn't have the guards to help him but you know that that's an interesting data point in and of well, itself and, the data, and, and another another capable offense and we'll yeah. see how he looks i mean i i thought that round one as great as he was offensively it lowered my stock of him as a playoff defender compared to what happened in the Clippers series last year and the further we get from that if it's more negative data points then that's a good Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 
2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant, featured in Giant Magazine, issue two. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finger code CAPSPACE at checkout. You remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us. Okay, let's go to Chris. Chris, you are on the air. Hello. How you doing? Hey, what's what's going on? The legends. Nate and Danny, back again. Hey, um, no, I just have a quick question uh, regarding tonight's uh, Sixers series. Do you see 
Doc Rivers um, implementing probably a smarter strategy of putting Ben on Trey? Or do you think that the Hawks' um, size in terms of starting Solomon Hill, does that limit what the Sixers can do defensively? The only reason why I ask is because I think that you just you put Curry on Solomon Hill and just help off of that and put Tobias on Collins and put Ben on Trey because it's not it's just not going to work having Danny Green guard Trey. He's just he's too slow. He's more of a help defender than a one on one guy. Um, what do you guys think? I think they need to move Ben Ben Simmons to Trey Young at least as the primary matchup because in this in the starting five, I don't I don't think they have another person who can do it, and so you're going to do that. And I don't think that we're at the point yet where you want to like put Matisse Thibel or, and I mean, also foul trouble for Thibel in that circumstance or put George Hill in the starting lineup because of what, who you'd be taking out. You'd probably be losing something material on one end or the other. So I, yeah, I think that's where you go, but I, I also want to see, you know, an overall committee. And so I think Simmons should be the primary guy. And then when you get into some, maybe you try some other things and see how George Hill looks, might be a little slow, might get into some of the same problems as Danny Green did. And they, they did have some Thibel. Um, I think Nate has a better memory with those sorts of things than I do. But yes, I think Simmons should be the primary matchup. I would agree with that. If you're not going to put Simmons on Trey, I think you need to put him on John Collins. Because the other problem they had is they're terrified to switch Tobias Harris onto, right. John, onto Trey Young. So now you can get an advantage with either a 4-5 or, or either a 1-4 or a 1-5 pick and roll. And so now where being able to switch that, I think, would be pretty useful as well. Now, they did try to post up with Tobias Harris uh, or, or with John Collins on Tobias Harris. That didn't work at all, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I don't think they're going to go back to that anymore. Um, now, Curry is an interesting one, too. I understand the thought of hiding him on Hill. I might just say, hey, Seth, just guard Bogdanovich and just really stick to him closely. And then let's put Danny Green, who, as you mentioned, is more of a help defender, put him on Solomon Hill so he can kind of muck things up in the pick and roll and say, hey, we're just going to live with Solomon Hill shooting some threes. That could be something that they try as well but they have a lot of versatility it sounds like though that ben simmons really wants to guard trey young and that's what's going to happen to start the game and i'm very interested to see how that goes yeah i, I agree with you guys i think that in, in actuality you're gonna want you're gonna want ben to be on trey and at least have i like the idea of having dana green help off of um solomon hill and just kind of be a roamer a little bit kind of in that covington role where he's not a good one-on-one defender necessarily but a better help defender um i'm curious to see what you guys think as to what how this series is going to play out i think the sixers win in six you know i understand that trey young is is just a, a dynamo offensively and he creates just so much gravity for everyone around him but ultimately i just think the Sixers have so much defensive versatility um and combine the fact that the, the hawks hit like i think it was 10 more threes in the sixers the sixers had four turnovers i believe or four more turnovers i think the sixers are also just always bad in game ones i think they'll turn it around but i just want to hear what you guys think on that yeah i think the sixers are going to kill them tonight uh i think they're going to run them out of the gym the crowd's going to go crazy they're going to force a bunch of turnovers now Embiid hasn't actually been confirmed for the game yet i don't know how much of that is gamesmanship danny has it been confirmed that deandre hunter is not playing last i heard he was questionable i haven't seen anything definitive yet um but yeah, my, I, I, I'm more confident that the Sixers will win tonight than that they'll win the series. I, I Part of it is just 
how how much is Joel Embiid available? Does he have a does he have a recurrence? Because if he any games that he's unavailable, I think will be a huge challenge for Philadelphia. That's part of why I picked Atlanta in the series to begin with. And they all Atlanta is also a very deep team. I think that no, well, not very deep. They're deep enough, and so they can they can put capable players out there if they can get DeAndre Hunter back at some point. That would be an important addition as well. Like we th- we we thought they were really kind of dead in the water without him because you need you need him defensively. So uh, I I think Philly will win the series. Maybe it's maybe it ends up being seven that goes back to goes back to their home arena. But and that's funny considering I picked the Hawks. But if I had known Joel Embiid was going to play in Game One, I wouldn't have. So that's why it goes. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you uh, always uh, entertaining my my questions uh, as a, as a as a reward. I guess I've been meaning to subscribe to you guys for a while in terms of the premium subscription. I'm actually going to do that tonight. Got a new job, so this is my treat. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chris. And also, so, the, that's uh, one of my top five favorite Simpsons episodes, by the way. Your avatar with uh, Bart driving the car that Mr. Burns got him in the uh, Burns' air episode. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great episode. So, soon you'll have a mighty hump. Uh, okay, what's, uh, what's next here, Danny? Let's go to Paul. Paul, you are on the air. A little bit of a... Uh... Oh, Paul is gone. Well, if we see if we see you, Paul, we'll we'll put you back on. Uh, Kadar, Kadar, you are on the air. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I just had a, I mean, with Jokic winning MVP and all, I just had a general question about uh, last night's game and the pick and roll defense uh, of Jokic uh, of the Nuggets, basically on uh, against the Phoenix Suns. What did you guys think of the overall coverage with Jokic coming up to the level and uh, you know Aaron on the backside? Uh, do you think that's you know should they have Jokic going to play on the drop a little bit and basically allow uh, mid-range jumpers for Booker and and uh, Chris Paul, or would you rather allow the three-point kickouts to Jay Crowder and uh, uh, Mikael Bridges? Yeah, so Kadar was kind of cutting out there, but basically he was asking about their pick and roll scheme. Would you rather have Jokic up to the level of the ball, which kind of once you've got two in the ball, then you can't cover both of the corners, and so you're giving up corner threes. Or if you have him in more of a drop, then you're enabling guys to get to the mid ranges, or even actually because he's not a great rim protector to accelerate and get to the basket. Like Chris Paul even had, who does not want to finish at the rim at all, even was very confident going up and finishing around Jokic with a head of steam. So, uh, there aren't really any great answers to that um i might even consider on occasion switching with Jokic. yeah i was gonna say that i mean i don't know if it's gonna work he's actually not terrible at it now the more of a diet of that you have probably the worse it gets but i think maybe what i'd say is don't be afraid to get Jokic into a late switch especially like i think one thing i would try to do is get a little bit more pressure uh bringing the ball up floor which you know Compazzo tried to do a little bit just get them started with whatever they're running a little bit later in the clock so then with Paul in particular if you need to do a late switch where you're not starting off switching but if Chris Paul gets past the point of attack and he's attacking Jokic downhill you can just say all right we're gonna have Jokic stick with him now Aiton is a big target down there you know if it's Compazzo or something Paul can still kind of lob it up to Aiton so you got to watch out for that you might want to try I mean I probably just play Compazzo less generally it was tough to do that without uh, Monte Morris playing well last game, but Morris is a little bit more size. Maybe you hide Morris on Bridges. You've already got Gordon on Booker. 
could go austin rivers on chris paul which is a, a fun matchup because those guys didn't really care for each other i don't think in la and yeah be okay late switching that none of these are great options that's just any kind of conventional pick and roll center even the good ones are going to struggle against chris paul and devin booker that's why the suns are really good but i think there's a just to change it up a little bit and because it leads like make these guys make a play one-on-one and hopefully Jokic doesn't get in foul trouble I think he can avoid that and not have that be your base scheme but like hey if this is an emergency and Chris Paul is going to be wide open we're willing to have Jokic pick him up and then uh you know make him play late into the clock again not a great uh, as you hit on Kadar is not a great option but there are no great options against great pick and roll players and a traditional center and not even a particularly good traditional center defensively the only thing I want to add just for emphasis is Jokic's limitations as a rim protector make it even make it even more challenging than like you know like let's say Joel Embiid we just we talked a little bit about the Hawks series just before Kadar's question about about like how you how you handle that well at least when Embiid is around the rim and somebody else is around the rim he's probably going to do something to make it hard and that's why I would be going towards maybe those late switches or uh, or a head getting out to the level of the ball is because you're not doing as much to scare the other team off of those shots you're not getting the benefits of a drop coverage like some of the other players would yeah I mean I generally I generally actually like the scheme last night uh, because I do like just having Jokic up on the level and just having that activity from him and you're just I, I just think betting on the idea that Bridges and Crowder are going to keep making these threes, I think it's just something you're going to have to live with. And I actually did really like the scheme. I just thought there might be something that they could do um, because obviously Booker is going to hurt them if you only have Austin Rivers on them. So I think that I think that really needs to change. But then you don't really have anybody on that backside. I mean, if you put uh, Porter Jr. there, he's not very good at it um, in terms of just like the turn or maybe Aiden on on the roll there. It's going to be very difficult for him to contain that. Um, but I did I did generally like the coverage. I just I just don't know how they can execute it better. Yeah, well, Bridges is also a 42% three-point shooter, and I think he's like, you know, 45% or something from the corners. So that's the, especially when he's on the backside, which they're always going to put him there, and they know he's a great shooter. I mean, it does, it does make it tough. You know, they're just not a great defensive team. Um, All right, what do we got next here, Danny? Let's go to Jared. Jared, you are on the air. Hey guys, uh, I also had a uh, center question from the Nuggets uh, Sun series, but mine is about uh, DeAndre Ayton. And um, Ayton for me was was one of the more fascinating players coming into the playoffs because sure. I, I, I kind of take I, I take him to be uh, if anybody's gonna going to break into the uh, uh, quadrumvirate uh, at center with uh, Gobert and Bead, Jokic and Towns. I think he's the guy. And um, there's a lot of indicators that suggest you know, he's having a great playoffs. I think I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think he's up around 77 true shooting. Um, he's taking a ton of shots at the rim. Um, great uh, on off numbers. Um, and but on the flip side, um, I noticed that he's he's getting a, he only has about a 15 usage and his um about 80% of his shots are assisted. Uh, so anyway, that that's just uh, by way of introduction of asking what you guys have seen um, um, from him and if he is a is a player that can really jump up into the, the top tier of centers. So I, I think that there are, the top tier is going to take some really big moves for Aiton because you think about the constituent elements of the they're, they're great players in very different ways but gobert is the kind of the him alone on defense where you put him on a defense you can have limited surrounding talent and you can have a very good defense and while 
the Suns were successful defensively this year. It was a, a combination of a lot of things, including some wild success when Eaton was off the floor that I don't particularly feel is sustainable. Um, and then as you brought up with Eaton's usage offensively, he's, you know, maybe he can scale that up. I, I think that he can. Ideally, if Eaton could get fouled a little bit more, if he had a little bit more nuance, but I don't think he's going to be good enough with the ball in his hands to like be used as a hub. Like let's say Bam out of bio. Let's say, let's not get into the Jokic territory here. And it is possible for a player who's strong on both ends of the floor to work their way into that conversation. I mean, I think Nate and I have both thought Bam is probably the most likely to do it because he, of what he can do offensively. And he's a little bit different of an athlete and being in certain ways, being smaller, like, you know, physically can actually help. He's, he's, he's a little bit quicker. So I, I've long thought that I, and I'm, I'm more of an optimist than some, like, I mean, if you want to go back to the center position rankings, that was something, but my, my thought has been that he might end up being kind of like the best of the rest where it's like, you know, you're in that tier where you're, you're thinking he's not going to be the best player in a championship team, but he can be an important player in a good team, but that you're still weighing, does he have, like, is he always on the floor in your best lives? And I don't want to preclude a player who is in his early twenties from being anything more. I, I would love for Aiden to, pr- to, to, to prove me wrong, but the idea of like dominance and he's been great in these playoffs. The idea of dominance is what to me separates that top group, that top four, as you talked about it in towns, his place in that can be a little bit nebulous at times, though I think with better coaching and surrounding talent, he can be there. And I, maybe I'm selling him short. I just haven't seen that from him yet. So one thing that I would add to this, um, this is probably something that was forgotten about when no, none of the good teams had good post-up centers is that he is a very good post defender. Like now let's see what happens for the rest of the series with Jokic, but obviously he can do better one-on-one against most of these guys and against Anthony Davis as well. But let's keep in mind these first two series have been perfect matchups for him defensively because these are not really spread pick and roll teams. They don't have a ton of shooting and they got guys who want to score one-on-one in the post and those guys kill most people, but Aiton has that skill to just be quick enough and largely avoid fouling and still be strong enough and big enough to really battle guys in the post and that that is a skill that's important in certain matchups so well i would love to see him against joel and Pete. actually i did i don't think i watched any of those games this year and maybe they didn't even match up but that would be another one i'd be fascinated to see but there are probably only I don't know, what would you call it? Three of those teams, like AD, Jokic, and Embiid are probably the only three guys that really matter as far as post-up guys on good teams. So it's worth noting that against a lot of teams, like for example, the Clippers, now DeAndre Ayton, he's going to have to get out on the perimeter. He's going to have to switch or a spread pick and roll team. Like if they went against Portland, for example, he would have to get out on the perimeter a lot more. He's not a great pick and roll defender, certainly improved, but still not great in that area. I think he can get better there. I'm not sure how much better he can get as a switch guy. Like I think he's, he's not just like totally dead in some matchups, but a steady diet of that, he's probably going to start to get worked a little bit, get in foul trouble or get blown by or give up threes so i think it's and then i'll add what danny said as well of him just not being a guy that you're gonna run offense through he's a dependent player one of the best pick and roll finishers his touch is wonderful uh as he's shown throughout these playoffs uh but yeah posting him up except against just like a quick duck in at the charge circle i don't think that's ever going to be a huge part of his game he just doesn't have that feel for like feeling a guy's body and spinning off of him and like making moves and stuff so uh before we anoint Aiden, and i also thought that his series against the lakers was 
was a little bit overrated because again he's just finishing around the room when he's open like that's that's a skill it's worthwhile not everyone can do that but there also are guys who can do that right like Rashawn Holmes could have done as good of a job I would say finishing as DeAndre Ayton could have in that series as a as an example so now he what he did against Jokic that's something that you know there's five guys in the league probably who could do that that is a lot of value added but that is also in that specific matchup and still I think ultimately and and this playoffs is starting to prove it again a little bit it's just you know shooting big wings spreading the floor being able to switch that still is the most important and if you have him out there you're not really able to do that so oh yeah. so I'll, I'll add in you 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 inspired me to look it up uh the Suns and Sixers Aiton and 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 B did play in both games Phoenix won both games um Embiid in in the first one which Phoenix won at home Embiid had 35 and 8 on 12 23 from the field and then in the second game which Phoenix won 116 113 um Embiid had 38 and 17 on 14 to 23 from the field but he did have eight turnovers in that game yeah but in terms of the center rankings like I would probably move Aiton Aiton into the top 10 off of this uh I mean, it doesn't take much to get there, I would say. But uh, okay, that, that, that was good. Any further thoughts on that, or should we uh, should we move on? I know that was a lot a lot on Aiton, but he's kind of the the top du jour, so I enjoyed that. Just just as a uh, really really quick follow up, um, I know uh, at the risk of judging people on their on their uh, best days or worst days, um, do, would you rather have right now Aiton or or somebody like Porzingis? Uh, to me, it's a no brainer. I'd rather have Aiton, but but I'm, I wonder if you if I'm just way off base on that. Oh yeah, probably Aiton. Younger, never gets hurt. Um, and Porzingis, like I think Porzingis' skill set is more valuable. He did show at least a little more defensive mobility at the end of that series. You know, if you're we talking about how Porzingis played last year, I would rather have Porzingis. But now I'd probably rather have Aiton. If Porzingis could get back to playing the way he played last year, then I'd probably rather have Porzingis. Yeah. No. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Real, no real argument from me. Let's go on to uh, Jonathan. Jonathan, you are on the air. I promise I will be a little bit quicker this time around. I wanted to talk about the Destroyer of Worlds, Boban. 
uh, as a, a long-suffering Pistons fan, which might be a reoccurring theme with this, uh, it was interesting. I was done with Andre Drummond as kind of crap that we've seen for a while. And so I, hypothetically, two questions kind of built around Boban. One, would an Aaron Baines, Boban Marjanovic circa 2017 make sense for a team in the East going for the eighth seed? And would that unit together be marginally more valuable than Andre Drummond? And then secondly, Boban shows that he had, can play playoff minutes. Is there an ideal fit for him in the NBA? Or is it just a coach that's creative slash desperate enough to utilize? I've been more of a Boban optimist. I, I think that the idea that he can only play in these minutes where like situations are perfect, like, you know, the the only when the water's fine can he go in. Like I, I'm I, I think that certainly just like any other player, Boban is better in those minutes, but I, I would be more comfortable, you know. Yeah, it's probably not like twenty-five or something crazy like that every game, but as a you know, the idea of the patchwork quilt of a center position where you have like maybe three different guys, none of which are making a ton of money and all of them can play between 10 and 25 minutes in a game. I think that, and, and play every game. I think that Boban could work there. Baines looked pretty toasty toast to me um, on the Raptors this year. And then, you know, with everything that, everything that went on. Well, so well, so is he talk- he's talking about like, if we go back in time to 2017, should they have just played those five, guys like, instead of Drummond? Yeah, if, if Stan Van Gundy cut beta on Andre Drummond, um, oh, just, oh like, okay. Yeah, back when Baines, you know, before he was with Boston, before he was with the Raptors and everything, when it, he had the nickname Lobster Claw, like Zoidberg, because he couldn't hold anything in Sands, but he could defend and dunk. <laughs> Uh, well, so important to remember that Baines at that time couldn't make any threes. And so he actually was like a really bad offensive player at that point in time. And I, I thought he like, what was it? The, the, uh, B and B losing factory is what you called it. Danny wouldn't, uh, he and Blake Steve and Blake were, were playing together on one of those years. I think that might've been, that, that, that'll be another one of why do teams hate third string point guards, but I'll save that. I've got a whole branch that <laughs> on down the road. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean like Drummond it just now Drummond was better then and remember they were coming off a year where they built their offense around the Reggie Jackson Drummond pick and roll and he could actually like jump and get alley oops like Drummond I think one of the most you know a guy who hasn't gotten any better from age 22 and in fact has gotten worse but part of that is just because he hasn't kept himself in shape like he's fat you know he just is not his athleticism has really waned a ton that's part of why he can't finish anything inside although he never had great touch with that to begin with so yeah i think drummond you know over the course of his career has been one of the more overrated players but he just had made the all-star team right like we could write write a long dissertation on centers who didn't deserve to make the all-star team in the east making the all-star team and thus getting really overrated and drummond is uh, a uh, very prominent member of that list so so then and if we're talking modern times now with Boban do you see is there a team out there that would be an ideal fit for him the joking like the comedic side of me is like hey there's a really really tall guy from Europe I know Charlotte but I mean that's not quite what they need right now I actually think he might be a good fit in Charlotte because they play a bunch of zone and they could use Boban's pick and roll ability where he can just kind of get to the front of the rim. LaMelo is a very creative passer to get it to him, kind of taking up space in there as well. I actually wouldn't mind him in Charlotte. I think that's a pretty good suggestion. (laughs) 
I thought about him as one of the, I brought the patchwork quilt idea, like as one of the people in Golden State's rotation would be really interesting just to see ooh, how it would work. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, because there, there's never been a second unit uh, offense theory for them. And, you know, might as well be Boban if no, nothing else. Absolutely. Uh, th- thanks to Jonathan for the question. Um, and we will move on to Christian. Christian, you're on the air. This is how are you guys doing today? Doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Um, so I just, uh, I don't want to get it, you know, kind of all jumbled up, but I saw, I believe it was in Bleacher Report. I could be wrong. Um, but what your guys' thoughts were on a potential CJ McCollum for KP swap. Um, I'm a Mavs fan, but I guess, you know, kind of for both teams. And it was weird because it the article stated if they can re-sign Norm Powell, uh, there seems to be some mutual interest between the teams just to kind of try something new um and it's weird because half of each of team's fan base seemed to be for and against it and just wanted to uh get your guys thoughts on that because i'm not sure mccallum would be the best fit next to luca but i also think um you know kind of having that secondary score and uh you know someone that could lead that second unit when luke is off the floor could really help it's definitely an interesting idea and i you know for from portland's perspective one of the big challenges would be well how how are you going to manage their big man situation and think of their defense now porzingis in if you were going to have terry stotts as your coach and you're going to you know run a drop coverage and porzingis is his legs are less cementy than they were a lot of this year than than maybe that could work and the floor spacing you're you know kind of going hard after it but i don't love porzingis and and nurkic together just it, it, there's a lot of immobility i would say in, in that sort of a circumstance like you know and then porzingis i think he's most valuable at the five that's the whole thing of like if you have him at the five then you can play five out and everything else and the cj and and luca i think it could work that would challenge carlisle and Doncic to develop more of his off-ball game because i think that that could be there but Another big limitation and why I wouldn't do the deal as Dallas is the timeline slash age component. Next year is going to be McCollum's age 30 season. And as great as Luke has been, odds are his best seasons are probably three, maybe three, four, five seasons from now. And at that point, CJ will be in his early mid thirties. And yes, Porzingis is not the greatest fit. And we've had the, the questions about that, but I don't think you're you go hard after the present, especially with somebody who it's not like there's going to be a point in the future where CJ can really get you a big return in trade. The my presumption would be that CJ making roughly thirty million a year and his contract ascending, you know, he'll be making thirty five two years from now. The cap will be ascending too, but that. CJ in his, you know, third age 32 season making 35 mil. So then in case Dallas needs to get better from then, it's going to be harder. So I don't I don't love it from Dallas's perspective, but I also get why like both teams wanting to shake up shake up the board, it would be useful. Yeah, Bobby Marks may had a, a comment that he's been talking to people who said, Hey, somebody's gonna want to go to Dallas because people are just gonna want to play with Luca. I don't know if that's really true or not, but also there is nobody right now. And so the thought that he was talking about was that which is is an interesting one is the idea of just trying to move on from Porzingis don't get a ton back just maintain flexibility and hope that you can just uh, 
get a second star to come there and free agency i mean the 2022 free agency class could could be unbelievable uh now how many of those guys actually stick around we'll we'll know that probably by the end of this summer when we see some of these potential extensions although a lot of most of those guys actually are long are veteran extension candidates so they can sign an extension up to four years during the season like collinger and i did like a whole episode on all these guys which was really eye-opening to me of just how many of these players are out there so do you want to just move on from porzingis i mean you could always like sign and trade him later as well as the matching salary so maybe there isn't this idea of oh we got to like open up cap space for the summer of 2022 when they'll be in trouble because luca's max extension is going to kick in i think yeah, yeah i think that yeah go ahead that that's really been the part and when you guys talk about uh the possible free agents down the road as a mavericks fan from dwight howard to darren williams to you know now Giannis was you know trying to keep cap open for Giannis this year like I think I've been burned so many times and I know we have Luca. It's a, you know, quite a bit different than, you know, Dirk's later years and attracting uh, a free agent, but I'm just so nervous about it. And one of the things like that has always frustrated me with uh, this front office is, you know, it signs these deals to kind of keep that uh, cap flexibility. But I think at the end of the day, if you get good players and yeah, you might have to overpay a bit, like you can always trade good players like if you need to open up some room i think like if we had got uh boyan um back in 2019 or brog like you could flip those pieces uh if you need to open that cap so i i think a big and important thing right now is kp will have his first offseason healthy um and god i don't even know three four years uh so maybe he's able to improve because when you look at luca uh he added that mid-range game and look how important that was uh for this team so I'm a little bit, I don't like, I, I'm almost confused at this point, And maybe because the loss is so recent and it's easy to be frustrated with kind of the way the team around Luca played. But I don't think I, I'm super for trading KP, but I'm not against it if it makes sense. And I think, like what you guys said, it's a whole different timetable. And at the same time, you know, even though KP's kind of shown us what he has been the past couple of years, maybe. Maybe that healthy offseason um, can do some wonders for him and maybe uh, things start clicking and we do have some cap space. Um, you know, the Tim Hardaway re-signing is going to be either important and hopefully a sign-in trade or, you know, something. Yeah, that, to, that's going to be just, an interesting one too, right? Like, I, I guess ultimately the CJ thing, I don't think I would do it as Dallas, although I, it, it is intriguing. I, th- I would certainly do it as Portland, which kind of, that makes you think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do it as Dallas. Uh, because I think CJ just might be on the downside. We've kind of seen what a team with him as the number two is. I was very concerned that he was not able to have a good series against a Denver team team that didn't really have anyone great to guard him so you know if we were talking about two years ago cj then maybe but still i just wonder if like yeah you know like what is your upside right like you're trying to win a championship but i realize it's frustrating to be like okay we're trying to get into free agency this year we don't get anyone blah blah but that's kind of part part of why i'm like "Hmm, maybe they should try to get off of porzingis at some point and maybe that'll be next year because he's like you're kind of locked in right like you just don't have the flexibility to get that the number two guy that you realistically need to be a championship contender and so locking in for cj as danny was saying with him being later in his career i don't think that makes as much sense either but at bet 365 we don't do ordinary 
We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, all right. Should we do a couple more here, Dane? Thanks again for that uh, good Mavs talk I, there. Yeah, let, let's start with this one in the in the discussion from Paul McKay because he was originally on and then his, what happened is his phone died. So he was saying over the last 20 years, basically half the teams that make the second round make the second round again the next year. So his question was, of the of the eight teams in now, which four do you think are least likely to make it to the second round next year? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, Atlanta seems Atlanta seems least likely to me just because they're I, I think their talent level is a little lower, though they are in the East. Um Yeah, I mean, I think actually other than well, the Clippers, I mean, if Kawhi Leonard doesn't come back, <laughs> they're uh that then they're done. Uh I mean, any of these teams in the West, I think, is a possibility, right? Like Golden State could be in there, the Lakers could be back healthy again, Portland could be a threat. They maybe should have won that series against Denver this year. I think for Denver not having Jamal Murray, hopefully they can do something in free agency to deal with that. But I don't think Jamal is going to play next year, uh, or he's not going to be good, you would think, just because everything is later this year. So you're looking at, I mean, when did he hurt it? Like late April? I think it was April. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. I mean, is it, are they going to bring him back in 10 months? Like, that's kind of not what people do these days. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I think any of, and Phoenix, you know, they kind of over. And I mean, the, Phoenix had amazing it, health uh, this year, too. They did. I mean, and I would throw in Philly just because they're, the, you get to see of health of their best players. Now, I think that at full strength, they're, they're firmly in this mix. A weird thing is if I were to say which team I'm most confident in, it would actually be the Brooklyn Nets because they have these three guys under contract and sure, one of them, maybe even two of them could be hurt. But if all they have to do is win the first round, I think that they have enough to enough of a floor to have a decent seed. And then they have the firepower to win in the first round. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to make the conference finals every year or anything like that, but I think I'm most confident in, in, in Brooklyn making it back. Yeah. And also Boston, Miami and Indiana, I think will be better next year. Sure. Maybe not Miami, but uh, Boston and Indiana. I mean, they could be. Couldn't help but be. Uh, so let's let's do a, a little lightning round here. We're getting close to the end and have have games and stuff to watch. But let's go to Ellery and let's try to let's try to make it fast. We'll do a couple if we can at the end. Yeah. Hey there. So uh, basically, I'm just curious. Um, updated thoughts on the Spurs. You know, as a big Spurs fan, uh, we have a ton of cap space, but there aren't really any free agents. There's some restricted guys, but eh. it's like they could try to roll over their cap space, but then they've got extensions kicking in. You know, it's like I heard someone say, like, we should just take Porzingis. I don't think they would want to dump Porzingis. Like, we could go for John Collins, Duncan Robinson, but those teams probably want to keep them. So what would you do if you're the Spurs? I would identify a couple. This is a, a battle plan that I'm going to have for a couple teams this year, which is extremely unusual, but I think it applies in this this weird year. Identify a couple of restricted free agents that you really like, that you think would move the needle for you. Make an offer that is both aggressive enough that you think there's a chance it won't be matched, but also that you wouldn't regret having. Like you shouldn't give John Collins a max because don't give John Collins a max. And if any of those guys take your qualif- take your offer sheet, great. And if they get matched, so be it. And if they don't, then they don't. 
The other conversation you brought up, Porzingis, is talk to teams about taking about taking players who are under contract. It's not even necessarily like taking on bad contracts, but you know, being open to that. Some teams are going to be looking to shed money. The cap is not going to go up dramatically. It can't. It can't go down. There was that was negotiated by the players and owners during the pandemic. But we could see some teams looking to save some money. Um, so you have those conversations. But I'm I'm get. I would like to wait until 22 unless the right guy comes aboard because you get to know what. Derek White is going to be like Jakob Pertl already under contract. See what you get from Lonnie Walker. Get another year to kind of see where it goes. Um, unless the right player is available. All right, let's uh, let's get one more in here, Danny. Someone in. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh, um. So let's go to Hashim. Hashim, you are on. Um, this is actually a non-basketball question. Um. So forgive me, but real quick, I've been a Dunkdown listener since the early days. I just want to know, Nate, how on earth did you do this while you were still working as a lawyer? It just seems impossible to me. Um. Yeah. And I actually had also just started uh, dating my wife. There was a, uh, who obviously become my wife. So the second episode that we ever did, I think was April 13th of 2015. And so I, and that happened to be my then girlfriend's birthday. So I took her out to eat. We got back at about 10 PM. I watched uh, the games that night because it was like right before the playoffs started. Danny and I recorded probably till like 1 a.m. I went to bed and then I got up at like 4.30 a.m. to go take a deposition in Oroville, California, which is like two and a half hours away from the Bay Area. So that was probably the worst (laughs) night that I had in terms of just like how crazy it was. Um, but I mean, you know, it was like most people, when they get home from work, they have five hours. And so I just spent my five hours watching games uh, and recording. And Danny was like nice enough to kind of do all the tech stuff and like put the show up at that time, but it didn't last very long. I realized that there was no way it would be sustainable over the course of a whole season. So once the show took off enough, I mean, it wasn't like we weren't making any money off of it at first, but it was apparent that it had at least some potential. So it was worth like building up, uh, trying to build it up. And so then I quit being a lawyer in October of 2015, um, like exactly eight years after I had started at that that law firm, actually. And so then I made this my full-time thing. And I was, you know, I was doing some writing then. So I was like, I can supplement my income and, you know, enough to not starve for a year or two. I was like, well, I need I owe it to myself to see if this can take off. And thankfully, uh, it has. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And uh, thanks for all the great questions. Nate and I will be back same same time, same channel, uh, 3 Pacific, 6, 6 Eastern next week. And we'll be talking probably about the same series. Who knows? Maybe some of them will be closer to ending by that point, but we'll have a lot more to discuss. And we'll, we'll see you then. Thank you so much for joining us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.